This is the Read to Lead podcast, episode 53. Hey, I'm Chris Ducker, author of Virtual Freedom and host of the new business podcast. And you've just stumbled upon one of my favorites. It's the Read to Lead podcast with my buddy, Jeff Brown. tend to think that when we speak to others, we're delivering information and that's what we're there to do. But it is never what we're there to do. What we're there to do is to influence the audience. Welcome to the Read to Lead podcast with Jeff Brown. Jeff believes that if you desire to achieve true success in business and in life, then consistent and intentional reading is a must. The Read to Lead podcast will not only help you narrow this ever-important reading list, but also bring you key insights and valuable feedback from some of today's most successful and inspiring authors. And now, here's Jeff. Hey, welcome back to the podcast dedicated to your personal and professional growth. We sit down each week with a successful and inspiring author to discuss their latest book and, depending on their area of expertise, thoughts on leadership, personal development, career, marketing, business, or entrepreneurship. In today's episode, we'll be talking with Gary Gennard. He's author of the book, Fearless Speaking, Beat Your Anxiety, Build Your Confidence, Change Your Life. In today's episode, Gary will share with us ways you can turn negative self-talk into positive coping statements, the breathing techniques essential for reducing public speaking anxiety, tools for developing your vocal expressiveness, methods for achieving influence as a speaker, and a lot more. Now, if it so happens that you're not someone who suffers from public speaking anxiety, whether it's prior to or during a public talk, my guess is you know someone who does. And so even if this episode today isn't necessarily for you, I want to ask you to consider thinking about who it might be right for in your sphere of influence and consider sharing this episode and this content with them. You can do that by simply linking them to readtoleadpodcast.com slash 053 for episode. 53. Thank you, thank you to the fine folks at Blinkist. I just learned from them a few weeks ago that the Read to Lead podcast is one of their top five revenue generators as far as their advertising efforts are concerned. So I want to say thank you to you for helping make that happen and for giving Blinkist a try. In case you don't know, you can try Blinkist free for three days. Just go to readtoleadpodcast.com slash Blinkist, B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T. And if you like what you see, be sure and enter the discount code READ to LEAD, one word at checkout, and you get 20% off an annual subscription. Blinkist, by the way, creates easy-to-consume 15-minute business book summaries. Your favorite business books are likely on Blinkist. And in those summaries, you walk away with the main ideas and the key insights of the book. Again, that link to find out more is readtoleadpodcast.com slash Blinkist. I hope you'll support them and let them know you appreciate their support of the Read to Lead podcast. Finally, if you're listening to this episode in July or August 2014, be sure and stick around to the end of the episode for a couple of special announcements pertinent to that time frame on the calendar. Gary Gennard is an actor, communications professor, and speech coach who helps people from all walks of life cope with speech anxiety and stage fright. He also coaches executives and senior professionals in speaking for leadership. 
creator of the Gennard Method of Performance-Based Public Speaking Training. He is the author of the book, How to Give a Speech, and the weekly blog, Speak for Success. He's also the author of the new book, Fearless Speaking, Beat Your Anxiety, Build Your Confidence, Change Your Life. And he, of course, is our guest today. Gary, welcome to the Read to Lead podcast. Well, Jeff, it's great to be here, and I'm a fan of Read to Lead, so I'm, I'm delighted to be talking with you today. Awesome, awesome. The feeling is mutual. I have to say that I went on Amazon earlier this morning, was just checking out some more specifics about the book, and was excited to see that every single review so far is a five-star review. Congratulations. <laughs> Well, thank you. We're very pleased about that. We have had a great response in terms of reader enthusiasm. And, of course, we've been contacting and dealing with professionals. And there's some very nicely written reviews. And we're delighted that they're up there. Well, in working with clients, as you do, what have you found to be some of the lies we tend to tell ourselves when it comes to public speaking? It's an interesting question, and the answer, I think, to that is that we tell ourselves lies which are not so accurate about ourselves rather than others. Mm. Oftentimes, people lie, and it has, has to do with trying to manipulate other people, but when we lie to ourselves in terms of our public speaking abilities, if we have any anxiety, those lies tend to be along the lines of, I'm not good enough, they don't like me, they're judging me. They are, they're self-destructive lies, and because of that, they can be particularly corrosive in terms of our confidence, and then what happens, of course, is that if we don't display the confidence that we need to as a speaker, then audience members just don't receive our message the way that they need to. As I read the book, one thing I did not want to believe is that there could actually be benefits to stage fright. What are some of those? <laughs> Well, it's absolutely true that nervousness, jitters, and a little bit of stage fright are all beneficial. And as an actor, this is something that I have dealt with all my life. Like many actors, it's people tend to believe that actors don't have stage fright because they perform to large groups of people all the time. But they have it as much as anybody else, and they just know how to channel it and, and how to deal with it because they have to give a performance eight times a week to 1,000 people or 2,000 people. So they understand, and, and I think we all need to understand, that a little bit of stage fright gets us ready. It, it reminds us that it's game time. The big game is coming, and it brings us up a little bit in terms of energy and willingness and desire to reach out and connect with people. And if we don't have that activation, then the, our, our talk or speaking at a meeting or presentation or speech, whatever it may be, just doesn't come up to the level of performance. And one of the things that I work with clients to get them to understand is that when we speak in front of others, any kind of presentation or um, formal speech, it really is a performance, and we need it to be, because that's what the audience needs. They, they themselves want to be activated by our energy so that it's coming back to us, and there's energy going back and forth, and that makes it much easier to activate the people in the audience in beneficial ways, which is really what we're there to do. So 
we need that level of activation, a little bit of nervousness. And the other thing, of course, that it does is it, it scares us into <laughs> doing our homework because we think, well, I, I don't want to get up there and sound like I know, don't know what I'm talking about. So we do prepare the, the way that we need to because we understand that this is something special. And perhaps that's a good word. It really should be a special experience for audience members and speaker. The problem, Jeff, is when that nervousness tips over into anxiety, and then we're in places where we are feeling things and exhibiting things which are actually working against us rather than for us. So it's a delicate balance, and of course, when it tips over into anxiety, that's when I often come into the picture and help people overcome that. Gary makes a claim in the book that when I read it, sort of let me off the hook a little bit, I think, as a, as a speaker. That claim is that audiences actually have little interest in the, in the speaker. Gary, can you expound on that? Well, you put it in an excellent way, taking you off the hook. I use a, a similar but different visualization, and that is Atlas with the world on his shoulders. And we oftentimes feel that audiences are scrutinizing us and judging us when we speak. But the truth is that audiences are always in a what's-in-it-for-me mode when they come and listen to us. And they really would like their time to be worthwhile, this 20 minutes, 40 minutes, one hour, half day, full day, whatever it may be. They'd like to know that they are getting something from it. So that's what they're paying attention to. What's the information they're receiving? Can they use this? How is it going to make their life better or easier? Are they going to be able to use this information professionally and succeed more than they are? Or um, are they facing something that really makes them desire this information? And that's what they're focused on. And it's not very likely that they're looking at us and saying, oh, gee, I don't like those slacks with that shirt, or um, why is that speaker walking that way, or um, gee, I'm paying a lot of attention to this person rather than what he or she is saying. And of course, the opposite is true. So that, I feel, is lifting a huge weight off our shoulders, and that's why I use the the visualization of Atlas, finally being able to let that big globe down and relax and relate to the people he's there with. Gary, what are some of the ways that we can turn our negative self-talk into, into what you call positive coping statements? How do we go about doing that? Well, it's a, it's a very important thing for us to do because part of overcoming speech anxiety and fear of public speaking is a process called cognitive restructuring, and I, it's one of the three main areas I deal with. I also deal in the body and body language and the expression of the body, and also focus and mindfulness and, and being present. But the, the area that I start to work with people in is cognitive restructuring, because we really do have to change our negative self-talk, which has become a habit for us, into something positive that we can use that's constructive and productive when we speak. So I have a couple of exercises, um, in, part of the 50 exercises in fearless speaking, that are specifically related to 
changing negative self-talk to positive coping statements. They're called the 10-10-10 exercise and the 10-10 exercise. And that's something that I created just when I was working on this book. And what it involves, Jeff, is to sit down and think of the negative statements that you're in the habit of making. Let's say that you say to yourself, I'm a poor speaker, which of course is very common among people who have speech anxiety. I ask the the person reading the book and the exercises here in the book to write that down. We have a three-column sheet here in the book. And in the first column, which is headed negative statement, they write, I'm a poor speaker with that example. And the second column asks that reader to write that down as a less negative statement, not a positive statement yet, but a less negative statement, which may be, I'm not a poor speaker which is better than I'm a poor speaker, but not so great, not (laughs) what we're really looking for. And so the third column is make that a positive statement, which in this case would be, I'm a good speaker. And then, because this is a book on overcoming fear and speaking, I ask the reader to say out loud those three statements ten times. And that's the 10-10-10 exercise. Mm. Because an important part of becoming a good speaker is to train your ear and to hear yourself saying something, which is a stronger input in your brain than just writing it down. And you've actually done both. You've written it down, and now you're speaking it, which makes it sink in better. And then the 10-10 exercise, as you could uh, guess, is you go directly from the negative statement to the positive statement, and you take out the middleman. So in this case, this would be, I'm a poor speaker, I'm a good speaker. And I give some examples in the book of the kinds of statements that we typically make to ourselves, and then there's space for the reader to write down their own particular statements and then go from negative to positive. And that's actually an an important part of fear of speaking, is that all of the exercises in the book are particularized to the person so that you can write down and experience what has happened with you as a speaker so that everything that's in the book is individualized to getting you from your level of anxiety to being a confident speaker with, incidentally, better speaking skills on top of it. Which I really appreciated, and I like that exercise you have folks do early in the book that helps you kind of identify which one of those areas is is the worst one (laughs) or the most difficult one for you. That's a key part of the book, and that is in the first chapter, which is understanding your fear of public speaking. And that exercise that you're talking about, Jeff, is called Understanding Speaking Fear. And I've given eight types of speech fear and the kinds of thinking that people go through, and then a corresponding fear reduction technique which deals specifically with that cause of speech anxiety. And one of the reasons that we uh, use the fearless speaking system here at the Gennard Method is that it's one-on-one executive level coaching so that it deals with the particular ways that speech fright is manifesting itself in you. The work that we do, especially in, in the beginning of my contact with a client, is to understand exactly what's happening with him or her because it differs. Some people have a high level of an anticipatory anxiety. Others don't, but the, the fear hits them like a tidal wave as soon as they start speaking. And some, of course, experience panic attacks and just want to run out of the room, which they've 
can't do, of course. And then other people beat up on their on themselves afterwards in terms of, oh, I did a terrible job and just I'm just not very good. So. What this exercise is doing is trying to get to the root of what is going on with that particular person, what type of speaking fear they have, and then it's matched with a technique which deals just with that. And of course, for everyone, it's not just one of these, it may be two, three, or four, but it's very helpful to understand what are the techniques that work for that particular type of speech anxiety. And then, of course, they can go right to that uh, chapter in the book and get some help. As a musician a few years ago, a horn player, I can remember my music teacher telling us to use your diaphragm as you're breathing. I wonder if you could talk a bit about diaphragmatic breathing and, and the role that good breathing techniques play in reducing your anxiety. Bless your music teacher, and bless music teachers everywhere, and uh, acting instructors, and uh, people who help their students understand how diaphragmatic breathing can help with any kind of performance in public, and that's because there's a difference between breathing for life and breathing for speech, and breathing for singing, if you were applying it that way, but uh, the difference is that when we breathe for life, it's what we call vegetative breathing. Mm-hmm. It, it's passive, and we don't have to do it very deeply, and it's an autonomic response, and it's just always there. We don't have to think about it. But when we are doing any kind of performing for others, speaking in public or singing in public, then we have to use diaphragmatic breathing. We have to get the diaphragm in into the act. And that is because the diaphragm is a, a sheath of muscle which sits in the at the uh, between your lungs and your abdominal area and it's curved it's shaped like a dome and when we breathe that diaphragm flattens out so that the lungs have room to expand and as you can imagine when we're speaking in public one of the things that we need to do is have a full reservoir of air so we have a strong voice to reach to the back of the room we can't always have a mic And if we're breathing shallowly, then uh, we're not able to do that. So belly breathing or diaphragmatic breathing, which is easy to do once you get your head in the right place. It's kind of funny getting your head in the right place so your belly is in the right place. But when you have that, when you're doing that, then you're getting enough air so that you can both reach the people that you're talking to and do something, incidentally, which is very important in speaking English, and that is get to the end of the sentence, because in English, the most important word is usually at the end mm-hmm. of the sentence. And the, most, the best example of that is probably the most famous line in English, which is, to be or not to be, that is the question. <laughs> and so what Hamlet is talking about comes at the end of that line, and if we're breathing shallowly, then we don't have the punch that we need to say that important thing to our audiences and get the message across. The other part of this, Jeff, is that in addition to creating a reservoir of air to have a strong and resonant voice that has the sound of authority, we have to deal with something which is always present if we have anxiety about speaking, and it's always harmful to our ability to speak to others, and that is we start to breathe shallowly and rapidly because we're getting nervous and anxious. 
and if we go, go all the way to panic, of course, it, it really does sound like, like a panting because we're not getting any air. <laughs> and there are lots of people who are giving a talk or presentation and we hear them gasp and we realize they're not, they forgot to breathe. They can, you can literally forget to breathe when you have anxiety because that breathing is just becoming more and more rapid and shallow. So diaphragmatic breathing is a terrific technique for helping calm and center you as a speaker. Some of the things which are most difficult to achieve, of course, when you're feeling anxious and out of place and off track and you're just not feeling like you would like to feel and you're certainly not displaying the confidence that you need to be displaying. When you think about it, whether it's as a musician, a singer, a speaker, I know when I worked with a personal trainer, one of the things we spent a lot of time on was learning how to breathe properly as you're exercising. There's a right way and a wrong way to do it and an effective way and an ineffective way. Absolutely. You know, I concluded my acting training at one of the acting academies in London, and the core of the acting training program in the English theater is voice and speech. And you do a lot of Shakespeare, of course, and you really know how to, you understand and learn how to use language and learn how to breathe properly and speak properly so you can do what you need to do to be an effective speaker of whatever it is that you're talking about on stage. And so we, we need to understand that the voice and the production of the voice is where it all begins. And, you know, I talk to my clients, incidentally, about that famous illustration by da Vinci of the Vitruvian Man, it's called, where the man has his arms out to the side, and we all, we all know that famous uh, image. And I, I say to the people I work with and the, the audiences I talk to, now imagine that we could bisect this person vertically and uh, draw a line from his head down to the bottom of that image and then across it. What's the center of this person? And of course the center is right, right in the abdomen mm. and that is exactly where diaphragmatic breathing begins. And so I think it's a great illustration that the, that area of where the, the speech begins is actually in the belly area, in the diaphragmatic area, not in the brain, the speaking begins in the center of who we are, both literally and figuratively. So if we can get back to our center, we'll not only be breathing well and communicating well, but we will be tapping into the essence of who we are. That's exciting, and that is very interesting for an audience. I think most people appreciate and understand the importance of nonverbal communication, but what does that mean, Gary, for presenters beyond gestures and, and body positions? Lots. A few years ago, I was training the Sudanese mission to the United Nations. I trained diplomats at the UN and also some of the permanent missions to the UN. And I was working with the entire diplomatic staff of the country of Sudan in a two-day training at their mission, which is really one of the embassies in New York. And we finished the training and the deputy ambassador got up and said, you know, when we asked you to come in here and work with us, we thought you would be giving us some pointers about how to, what to do when we get up to speak. But we now understand that there's an ocean of influence to be achieved when we speak, and we have waded in up to our knees. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, that is beautiful. <laughs> I could not have said it better myself, and I thought, oh, 
I'm I'm using that and <laughs> and I do, uh, but it was a he just put his finger on what is happening and that there is a world of influence when we speak and a huge amount of it is nonverbal and I use the image of an iceberg and I have a slide and I show an iceberg and at the top of it I've imposed uh, some text that says content and then under the waterline of course the huge part of the iceberg is nonverbal communication because we tend to think that when we speak to others, we're delivering information, and that's what we're there to do. But it is never what we're there to do. What we're there to do is to influence the audience, and we use information to do that. But we use something which is much more important in the end, and that is ourselves. And so what audiences are responding to is partly verbal, but a huge portion of it is nonverbal. Does this person know what he or she is talking about? Can I trust them? Is this a person that, that I can respond to that's giving me something that I need? And very important, and I, I know it's also important to the read-to-lead audience, is the question of leadership. Is this person a leader? Can I follow this person? And when all of these things are going on, we understand that there is a huge amount of information and uh, influence that is flowing back and forth between the speaker and the audience and a huge amount of it is nonverbal and really doesn't have anything to do with the content because if the content were the most important thing then we could just send people uh, the PowerPoint deck and say here read this but we need the speaker to tell us why that information is important put it into context allow us to understand how we need it to do what we are here to learn and do in our business, in our personal lives, and in every aspect of who we are. Well, Gary goes on to talk about the importance of not only what we say, but also the unique way we say it and and how that gives legitimacy to our presentations. In other words, it's about vocal expressiveness, uh, which I appreciated coming from from a radio background. Gary, what are some of your tools for developing vocal expressiveness? I have five in the book, and I call them the five key tools of vocal dynamics. And I think they are the most important tools that we all need to learn and practice in terms of our professional communication. And of course, it also helps our personal communication. The tools are emphasis and energy, pitch inflection, rhythm and pace, pauses and silence, and vocal quality. And Jeff, these range from simplest, number one, to the most complex, number five. And what happens with people speaking professionally is that they never get much training and they never get much education in how to use the voice. And it really is a remarkable thing if we think about it, if we think about the thousands of hours that we have spent in school, college, graduate school, professional school, whatever it may be, there's usually very little to nothing in terms of oral communication, listening skills, negotiating skills, all of these things that we use day in and day out in our jobs. And one of the most important things that we should have learned and need to use on the job and in our interpersonal communication as well is vocal expressiveness, using our voice well. And so what I do with 
the people that I work with is to get them to start to use these tools because they can make the difference between a uh, an average presentation and a really exciting one when we are listening to a speaker who knows how to use his or her voice. And of all the five tools, the one that people are usually weakest in generally is number two, pitch inflection. And I, I, never, I never say that a person's voice is monotonous, which comes from the monotone, of course. And, um, and the reason I don't say it is because it is, it's become a negative term and it means boring. So I say that people tend to speak on a vocal plateau. And what we need instead is the peaks and valleys of the expressiveness. What are the important points? What are somewhat important points? And what are the things that we just sort of throw away when we're, when we're talking? So in that little demonstration I, I, I just did, we understand the three levels of importance in any particular thing. And it has to do with, are you using pitch inflection and emphasis to let the audience hear what the important information is? Otherwise, it all looks the same. If it sounds the same, then we're really doing a disservice because we're not getting people to understand what they need to understand. We hinted earlier at, at the division of the chapters and how they tackle specific issues. You know, some folks are, uh, you know, suffer a lot of anxiety leading up to a presentation, while others are just fine with that aspect, and the anxiety hits the moment they stand up to open their mouth. And I'm wondering if you have some specific techniques you can teach or share for reducing nervousness while you're speaking, especially for those who, up until that moment, are just fine. It's about connecting with the audience. One of the things that makes us anxious and reduces our effectiveness with the audience is because we're not connecting. Mm. We're not present in the moment. And one of the important lessons that I am trying to get across in the book is that in order to be effective when we're speaking and feel nervous during our talk or presentation, we shouldn't do what our first inclination tells us to do, which is retreat. <laughs> get, a, get away from the thing that's making us nervous, which in this case, of course, is the audience, the people that we're there to share something with. So it's really counterproductive if we, if we physically and mentally take a step back from the audience. And of course, what that does is, is it divorces us even more from the people that we're there to talk with. And what an audience wants is us, who we are. We don't need to try to be better than we are or less nervous or more confident than they are than we are. Audiences will even accept the fact that we look a little nervous because they don't attack us because of that. They sympathize with us for that reason because they understand that a lot of people get nervous speaking and public speaking can be a nerve-wracking uh, nerve activity for people who have anxiety. So what I want people to do, and there are exercises in the book for this as well, is to go in the other direction, which is to reach out to the audience and just to remind ourselves that we are there to give them something, not to give us something, not to give ourselves something. So if we simply can remember what is it that I'm talking about at this moment and how can my audience relate to that? How can I make them understand how that is important to them? If I get on that wavelength, then I have reversed the energy which was coming inward toward me. I reversed it so that it's going outward to the audience and a, and a, 
a wonderful thing happens if we can achieve that, and this is we disappear. And that may seem like a bit of a paradox, and we, we really don't want to disappear, but we do want to disappear into our message. When we make it about the audience, we are not at the center of the universe, and we become our message. And when that happens, energy is flowing in the right direction, and we can forget about ourselves, not stand outside ourselves and say, hey, how are you doing? Do they like you? I mean, are they paying attention? And just give all our energy where it needs to be, which is on the audience. And incidentally, in order to do that, we really have to give our full energy and 100% of our concentration because what we are doing in that instance, Jeff, is reading the body language of the audience. And so in order to pay attention to that, that's where our mind and our, uh, our focus needs to be because we need to understand whether they're getting what we are saying or look confused or look like they're getting bored and maybe we have to switch tracks here and do something different. If that is what we're, we're doing, if we're on that wavelength, then something ha- is happening in the room and we're actually present in the moment rather than half there and half in my self-regard of how I'm doing and judging myself, which if, and that, of course, never works. I really appreciated the, the two universes illustration and, and the reminder that, that, that your audience is the center of the, the universe, not you. And it reminded me of what uh, one of my talent coaches always taught and what I teach my podcasting students. Very, very similar concept is that, uh, indeed, you are not the sun, but rather your listener is. And, and, and you're more like the moon. And what does the moon do? The moon reflects back the sun's light. Therefore, you should reflect back what's important to your listener. Yes, and it's interesting that people who begin to work on speech anxiety sometimes need to hear what we think is a, an obvious message, which is that it ain't about you. It's about your listeners. So stop thinking about yourself. One of the things I talk about in the book is my tough love messages. <laughs> and we all know that you know, tough love is, is a difficult message to hear, but it's for your own good. And one of the principal tough love messages is it ain't about you. And some of my clients say, you know, that's what I needed to hear. And when I, when I accepted that, then everything seemed to turn and I my head was in a different place and I was able to approach this in a different way from what I have done all along. And, and part of me says, well, you know, I mean, that should have been obvious right from the, from the start. But the other part of me says, well, wait a minute, fear is not a rational process. So it's not, it's not like we are fearful because we have thought carefully about this and we've decided to be fearful. It's an emotional response. And so what what we need to do when we work with people who have speech anxiety is to lead them to self-revelations and get them to understand things in new ways and link it to their emotional well-being so that they get the message but they get it in a way which is gently delivered and we hope gently received and then starts to click starts to make they start to make the connection it's it's exciting it is it, it's something that that uh, you and i have in common too i'm giving a, a presentation next month at a, at a podcast conference and the working title uh, for my talk is three things your interviews need more of and why none of them is you <laughs> yeah good good and of course uh, i I'll say to you what actors say to you, break a leg. You know, we, we don't say that other thing that begins with a G and ends with a K because we, we think that's bad luck. So we say break a leg, and I'm sure you'll do 
terrifically. <laughs> well, it, it, I want to know, is, is there anything else that you want to share about Fearless Speaking that we haven't covered before I move on to some questions not related to the book? I know you also want to, to let folks know about a free chapter opportunity. Yes, well, I'd, I'd just like to say, Jeff, and, and thank you for the opportunity that this is a book which is a practical hands-on approach to overcoming fear. It has 50 exercises which are all tuned into what the reader personally is going through and uh, this is not meant to be a theoretical book it's meant to be something that you can use right now and get practical hands-on skills in terms of both reducing your fear of speaking and becoming a more dynamic and memorable speaker and and really that's what we're aiming for at the end in the end is I would like people to be memorable and perhaps even get to the level of extraordinary and the, the best way to do that, of course, is to put these fears to rest so you can then have a firm foundation on which you can build all of the other skills which will make you exciting to listen to and to be in the presence of. We'll be sure and have a link uh, in the show notes, as we always do, to the book, to this book that has uh, thus far received nothing but five-star reviews, as well as how to, how to grab that, uh, that free chapter and much, much more. I wanted to ask, among all the leadership lessons you've come to appreciate, Gary, as after all, this is the Read to Lead podcast. If, if you had to narrow the list down to a single theme or, or one central idea, what, what advice would you give? Leaders lead, and the way that they lead, of course, is by serving. And leaders understand what the needs of their listeners are in terms of public speaking, and they look for ways to meet those needs when they speak. And they also are tuned into something bigger than themselves and even bigger than the audience. A leader is a visionary of, in some way, and when they speak, they are able to share that vision with an audience. And as you can imagine, that goes far beyond content, and it, it ties into all of the things that we've been talking about in, in our uh, conversation today, body language, the ability to connect with audiences, to establish rapport. And something that's interesting that I just blogged about, body language and leadership qualities, do you show the right stuff is, is the title of the blog. And, and that is, what are you showing in terms of physical presence? And I talk about three ways that you can make your physical presence larger, or using energy, relating to the audience in terms of your, um, your distance from them, how close or uh, how far are you from them. And an important consideration, use the entire performance space. And when we think about leaders who understand how to speak in public, they know how to use a stage. They know that the performance space is theirs to command. One of the things that happens when we are anxious and we don't feel like we can speak to lead is we become too small. We don't occupy enough of the stage. And I mean that literally, the stage that we are standing on, whether it's a, a full stage or whether it's just a corner of a boardroom or a conference room, use that space because expressing, we talked earlier about vocal expressiveness, but physical expressiveness is equally important. Are you giving physical expression to the things that you're saying. Leaders know how to do that. And when we see them do that, as well as listen to them do that, we feel the excitement because it is physical and it, it is closely, of course, tied to the body. And a leader knows how to use the body 
to express themselves as well as their lips, their vocal apparatus, which is certainly part of it, and their voice, but also how they're showing what they're talking about. I'm often curious to know what guests are reading. I'm wondering if you could name for us a couple of books you've read or maybe are currently reading, Gary, that have impacted you. And, and if you can, share how or why they impacted you as they did. Uh, there are a couple of books that I'm reading now which I think are interesting based on the work I do in helping people overcome fear of public speaking. And one is quite well known, and that's Quiet by Susan Cain. And uh, that, this is an exciting read, and it has many, uh, many connections with the work that I'm doing in o- helping people overcome glossophobia or fear of public speaking. I think it's a misconception, and uh, Susan Cain talks about this, that introverts are always shy and retiring, and in terms of public speaking, that the dynamic speakers are all extroverts. But I can testify from my acting career that there are many fine actors and many exciting and very dynamic actors who in person are introverts. It's not a question of only extroverts can become an actor. It's it's their job to act, and their per, in their personal lives, they may be more introverted. So uh, this is an excellent book if, if people are interested in the connection between how we express ourselves and our core personality. And the other book that I'm have been reading for a while is is quite interesting. It's by Sam Keen. It's called The Tale of the Dueling Neurosurgeons, <laughs> the History of the Human Brain as Revealed in True Stories of Trauma, Madness, and Recovery. Wow. <laughs> um, that's uh, and, and believe it or not, they, they fit it all well on the, on the cover and it doesn't look cluttered. <laughs> uh, it's a long subtitle, but it's a fascinating book. And it, one of the things that I'm interested in, of course, is the connection given the the need for cognitive restructuring and overcoming negative thinking and how the brain works. And this is a very interesting history of how we came to understand what happens in our brain through some exciting stories of people who um, experience maladies and uh, brain functions that scientists and surgeons were studying. And for the layperson, it's a fascinating read. Well, we thank you again for uh, taking time out of your busy schedule, Gary, to be with us today. Again, the book is Fearless Speaking, Beat Your Anxiety, Build Your Confidence, and Change Your Life. I am going to be the next person on Amazon giving it a five-star rating and review. (laughs) Thank you so much, Jeff. It's been a real pleasure to talk with you. And once again, break a leg on that presentation. (laughs) I'm sure that you're going to have a blast. If you'd like to network with Gary, a great way to do that is on Twitter. I was just looking at his Twitter feed a moment ago, and he's sharing some fantastic content. You can find him at his name on Twitter, Gary Gennard. That's G-E-N-A-R-D, at Gary Gennard on Twitter. The Read to Lead podcast, don't forget, makes for a great conversation starter. Everything you want to know about Gary, the things we talked about in today's episode, resources, his book, and the links that we shared can be found at the page created especially for this episode. And you'll find it at readtoleadpodcast.com slash 053 for episode 53. 
Check out our sponsor, Blinkist, readtoleadpodcast.com slash Blinkist, and save 20% on an annual subscription when you use the word read to lead as your discount code. Rate and review the podcast, pretty please, if you haven't done that already. I'll mention your name on a future episode as a way to say thanks when you do, readtoleadpodcast.com slash iTunes, or readtoleadpodcast.com slash Stitcher. I mentioned a couple of special announcements. One I want you to know is that in August, I'll be taking a sabbatical. August 2014, I will be taking off to prepare for some speaking engagements coming up in the fall over the next several weeks. But the show will return on the first Tuesday of September. That's Tuesday, September 2nd, the day after Labor Day here in the States. And there are five Tuesdays in September. So we should have five episodes to look forward to during that month. As I mentioned at the beginning of the show, I've had some chats recently with the folks at Blinkist, and we are attempting to work up some exciting things, some potential new read-to-lead podcast-related reading lists via Blinkist, possibly some new deals specific to read-to-lead podcast listeners, i.e. you, and maybe even some Blinkist read-to-lead podcast contest exclusives. I look forward to having more information about all that when we return in September 2014. I am so glad you're along for the journey this year plus now that we've been together. And I look forward to seeing you next time on the Read to Lead podcast. Thanks so much for listening to the Read to Lead podcast. As a subscriber, we challenge you to be more than just a passive listener. Become a vital member of the community. Visit us on the web at readtoleadpodcast.com and chat with other members at facebook.com slash readtoleadnation. Until next time, remember, leaders read and readers lead. Yeah, they were dancing and singing and moving to the grooving. And just when it hit me, somebody turned around and shouted, Play that funky music, white boy. Play that funky music, right? Play that funky music, white boy. Lay down the boogie and play that funky music till you die.